I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 262 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And this week, we have a very special episode. I say that every week, but every every episode is special to me. And just knowing that someone out there is listening to this makes it even more special. That's why I always like to say thank you. Because I know that you could be listening to a lot of other things. You could be doing a lot of other things. And maybe you're doing something else and listening to this as well. For that, I thank you. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you listening to the show. And I welcome you to episode 262. This is a episode featuring some of my patrons discussing the band Rush. Now, this stems from our 1981 discussion where uh, one of my uh, patrons and great friends, Johan up in Sweden, who's a massive Rush fan, could not believe <laughs> that, um, I believe it's uh, Moving Pictures, was not higher on the list. I be- it, it was top 10, but it wasn't where he expected it to be. And he was losing his shit as a result. So... It was a, a very fun listen. It was very fun to be part of that. And uh, as a result, you know, we have a band discussion every three months, basically. So we do a band discussion. We do a year discussion. And then uh, we do like a, another freeform discussion like this where we rank albums. And we did the live albums in January, which was a ton of fun. Uh, it's interesting because let's see, you know, 82 will be next month will be what we discuss. Does Iron Maiden take the crown once again? I don't know. Let's see. Let's see if something else beats them out. But yeah, it doesn't look too good, but I don't know. We'll see. Maybe people will surprise us. Maybe the patrons will say, you know what, this time around, it wasn't my favorite album. And if you want to get involved and be part of the voting, want to be part of the episode where we discuss your favorite album to come out in 1982, your top 10 albums, top 10 favorites to come out in 1982, all you got to do is become a patron. Go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. Across the top, you'll find links to various social media platforms, various other things where you could. Keep up with us. Keep up with me with what I'm doing with regards to this show and the Signals from Mars live stream, Trivia Tuesday, and the Signals from Mars pre-show on Fireside. And there you'll see a link to Patreon. And if not, you could just go to patreon.com forward slash Mars Attacks podcast. But for as little as two bucks a month, you could be part of next month's discussion. Obviously, it goes up in tiers and costs depending on what you want, depending on what you want. So if you're a Rush fan and you're here checking this out, we're all fans of the band. None of us proclaim to be experts. It's funny because a lot of people, when we do these types of shows and when I used to do my Galaxy of Geeks show, people would be all up in arms. How could you say that? Because it's this, because that. Listen, 
This is all opinion, my friend. <laughs> this is all, this is personal preference. Uh, this past week, I was on Despo Geeks Friday Night Live show, and we talked about favorite 90s thrash albums. You know, that's for everyone out there saying, no good music came out in the 90s. Check that out. But one of my personal favorites won. It wasn't what a lot of people went with, and a lot of people were going crazy because it wasn't what they expected. Anyway, the audio of that will be offered to my patrons as part of their bonuses that they get every week. If, if you sign up for the Patreon, depending on what tier you're a part of, you can get between one to three additional podcasts per week. So there's that. In any event, here we are. Mr. Patron's pick, Jeremy Weltman. Let's see what he has in store for us this time around. Here's Jeremy Weltman with Patron's pick. Hi, everyone. This week's Patron's pick is the final one of February. I cannot believe how quickly this year is going. And as you hear this um, today, I believe the Scorpions album will be released. I'll be reviewing that next week along with all the other uh, picks and um, perhaps um, Victor will choose it as well to review on his website. I'm quite sure he might, as I know he's been enjoying it very much. Um, this week there were some really good albums released, uh, quite surprisingly so. Um, as I looked through the list, I wasn't um, thinking there would be, but there were. There were, there were um, a good couple of dozen new albums released, including uh, plus a few reissues. Uh, which also included one by the Beastie Boys, the Alio e Olio album. Uh, I hope I've said that right. Um, Victor will pull me up on it if I haven't. Um, there were some really good albums out by uh, the symphonic power metal band Glacia, um, the Portuguese band. Uh, quite enjoyed that. There was uh, a doom metal album on Ripple Music from Foster Mother, which uh, was also quite good. I really enjoyed uh, the hard rock album on Frontiers by Manic Sinners. It's called King of the Badlands. That was a much better offering on the Frontiers label, I thought, than some that you, that you hear. I uh, really, really quite enjoyed that one. Also enjoyed the Goodbye June album uh, called See Where the Night Goes. That was um, really good sort of um, laid back rock and roll music. And um, I'm going to go back and listen to that one again because I really um, thought that was very interesting. There were some good tracks too on the uh, Guiding Star album by Zadra, which was also on Frontiers, and on um, 20 Years by Mecca. Uh, and finally, a few good tracks too on the uh, Revolt album by Dimitri. So there was a lot to listen to, a lot to get through this week. Uh, this week's Patrons Pick uh, is another... Probably a bit of a shocker for Victor again, maybe. Um, it was one that really st stuck out to me amongst all of them. And I was really enthusing about this one. I'd never heard the band before either, even though they're five albums in. It's an Australian fuzz metal band. Uh, you may have heard of them. They're called the Neptune Power Federation. The album is called Le Demon de l'Amour. There's 39 minutes of music on the album and uh, just eight tracks, but I thought it was pure punky joy. Uh, there was nothing about the album that doesn't make you want to go out of your, get out of your seat and, and grab a tennis racket and jump up and down like a lunatic. It had a real vibe to it. 
real catchy hooks, uh, groovy vibes, uh, and wailing female vocals that carry it all along in one sort of summer festival, gasmo rhythms and catchy choruses, I'd say. Um, it's certainly an album that is going to make me go back and listen to some of their older stuff. I've read some mixed reviews of it, and, and certainly amongst fellow patrons, I think there was certainly at least one one fellow patron who shall remain, remain nameless at the moment, who didn't quite enjoy it too much. But it's um, one that I really liked. So this week's patron's pick is the Neptune Power Federation with Le Demon de l'Amour. There you go. Uh, I don't know that that was a surprise so much, Jeremy. Uh, you know, that's within the realm of, of possibilities. Not so much a black or death metal thing, which really kind of throws me off when I see you adding that stuff. But uh, yeah, thank you, Jeremy, once again for his patron's pick. I do want to thank the patrons who uh, are part of this episode, obviously. And uh, let's go newest to oldest. Uh, let's go, uh, my brother Art Ruiz. We have Anthony Mackey up in Ireland. We have Ed the Shred Ferguson. We have Steven Saylor. We have uh, Johan Erdström up in Sweden, the metal chef slash politician. We have Metal Dan, who will be guesting on Signals from Mars this Friday. We have Jerry from Long Island, Jose in Connecticut. Sorry about that. Uh, we have Chris Vaglio from the Chris and Amanda show. We have the metal dentist, Gabriel Ruiz. We have Mr. Yarg Metal himself, Brad Dahl, YargMetal.com. We have our Mike Jones. We have Mr. Patron's pick, Jerry Weltman, and the Hokanator, Twisted Steve Hoker. Thank you, all of you guys, for being great and following me everywhere that I go. Tuesdays, I have uh, Trivia Tuesday exclusively on Twitch. It's a quiz show where you can use your computer, your phone, or your tablet to play along multiple choice. Winner gets uh, one of three prizes that I'm offering at the moment. That's why Metal Dan is coming on this Friday. And on Fridays, we do the Fireside pre-show. So uh, that is the pre-show to the Signals from Mars live stream. And uh, Fireside is a unique social audio platform where I usually read off the new releases and some metal news. And then I end up bringing people up on stage. Again, some of these very same diehards that I just mentioned. And we talk about just music things or whatever's on their mind. This past week, we talked quite a bit about the... Um, Oh, uh, what's going on in Ukraine? So, yeah, so there's that. And um, actually, both Trivia Tuesday and the Fireside Friday Signals from Mars pre-show both take place at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. That is 10 p.m. in the UK and 11 p.m. in Europe, followed by the Signals from Mars live stream on Fridays where you guys can join in on the chat, or as you can see from this episode, being a patron, we have patron-specific episodes where you guys are the guests, and we talk about either bands or we talk about specific years in music and, and so on and so forth. A lot of different cool things that we do. 
as part of uh, being a patron. So, so yeah, so you can join for as little as two bucks a month and get a whole lot of uh, content from the Victor M. Ruiz podcast to daily music videos from bands you love, bands you may not know of. That's how uh, Jeremy first got a hold of uh, the band that he talked about today. And a lot of the stuff that he talks about, I mean, obviously I posted on my new releases, but also I post about them right there on Patreon. So, so yeah, so if you're interested in checking out all kinds of hard rock and metal music and want to get involved in a troll-free environment and want to be in the next band discussion or next month in March on the 25th, we will be doing a... A discussion on the year 1982. I have my patrons submit their top 10 albums of 1982 in order from first to 10th. Uh, they're each assigned a specific amount of points based on where they've been ranked. Those points are tallied up. And then from there, we determined which is the, which is the, the, their favorite album of 1982. So, there's that. I keep meaning to do new episodes of the Mars Attacks radio show, which is on Anchor slash Spotify, but uh, I just haven't been able to do so because of time. I hope to be able to knock out one episode at the least um, uh, this week, and hopefully we'll get back on track with those. So I do apologize for that. I did, however, release, uh, I believe it's six episodes in January. So hopefully at least that's tied some people over. But uh, yeah. Um, also want to send a shout out to Rob Rowe, who uh, was a patron and he's going through a lot of personal issues at the moment. Just want to tell him that, um, that we support you, Rob. Um, and hope that uh, you're able to turn everything around. You're off to a great start and just continue to to do what you got to do. We're, we're all here from the uh, Mars Attacks slash Signals from Mars family pulling for you. So uh, in any event, we are going to jump on into our Rush discussion. Hope you enjoy this. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday, February 18th edition of the Signal Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast. And Brad, you were headbanging off um, off air there. Uh, I was I was digging your 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 song, man. I was like I was feeling it. I'm 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 trying to be more passionate about music. I think we had that discussion during Fireside. Um, yeah, it's it's a gift. And before we go on, I just have to say something. Happy birthday, CEO Dave. <laughs> there you go. I know he's uh, watching, listening, and uh, by the way, he 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 loves you, Victor. Yeah, he um he commented on YouTube on a YouTube video earlier this week. He was watching Trivia Tuesday while he was driving. He said, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, my goodness. 
<laughs> well, you know, Connecticut, uh, right, Jose? The, all the roads are straight there, right? So you can you can watch TV and drive. A lot of a lot of traffic, a lot of insurance companies, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> want to say hello to Jose in the chat, Rob Rowe in the chat as well. Hey, Rob. Everyone is doing well tonight, and uh, welcome to our rush discussion. And um, we talked a little bit about rush. Uh, on the fireside uh, pre-show, but we're going to get into the meat and potatoes here. Obviously, joining me is uh, Johan. Actually, Johan, I got to put you on the on the top here because uh, Johan was petitioning for this, like the good politician that he is, to have us discuss Rush. And the day has come. This is like a uh, a global holiday, Rush Day here yeah. on uh, Singles from Mars. Um, we also have joining us Jeremy, Mr. Patron's pick in the UK, and we have Mr. Yarg Metal pimping his own T-shirt, um, Brad Dahl of, of Yarg Metal, uh, showing off his merch. Where can people pick that shirt up, uh, Brad? Um, Yargmetal.com. <laughs> okay, there you go. I, I'm thinking of actually jumping into your merch store and seeing if we can work something out. I, Yeah. Maybe we could we could do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get anyway. Let's let's talk let's talk about Rush here, folks. Um if you've joined us for any of the other band discussions, we've discussed a lot of different things. Uh, and let's kick things off, obviously, with Johan. Uh the first question to go around is Johan. When is the first time that you remember hearing Rush? Mm -hmm. It was, I know it was 1986. Okay. Uh, and it was on this record. Ah, the hearing aid. Yeah. Hearing aid. Huh? Uh, hmm. The song Distant Early Warning from uh, uh, Grace on Pressure in a live version was on the B side. And uh, I love that song. Uh, great chorus, great uh, atmosphere. And uh, I tried to, after that, I tried to listen to, uh, uh, I think it was Power Windows. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't ready because I, I was 14. And mm -hmm. I was more into, you know, distorted guitars and gang vocals at that time. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't ready, uh, and I didn't listen to, you know, I heard some Rush songs, but I didn't connect with it, but in the in the late 90s, when uh, Niels, first his daughter died, and then his mm -hmm. wife died, everybody heard about that tragedy, and a couple of years later, Vapor Trails came out, right, and... Um, I bought that CD, and I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was different. It was uh, not the rush that I ever heard before. And uh, after that, I uh, started to go back in the catalog. <laughs> and uh, then I absolutely fell in love with the band. It's, uh, it's the best band I ever heard. It's so different. It's so. It's different. 
It's Rush. Mm-hmm. I can't say it better. It's, it speaks to me. The lyrics are different from other metal bands. I love metal, but there's something about Rush that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. I can't say it better. Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah. Okay. Jeremy, can you recall the first time you heard Rush? Yeah, um, it would have been around the late 1970s, probably about 78, 79. Um, I had a friend of mine who had the Archives album, which I later bought, uh, and I've got the copy of here. Oh, there you go. That's the one. Um, And so he was playing me the first couple of albums, uh, which was obviously they were released earlier than when I heard them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the time um, I was sort of starting to hear Rush, I think they'd obviously released. Um, I'm trying to think what they released. Let me just think. They had oh, twenty one twelve was our course, and twenty one twelve was interesting because we were at garage parties, and another friend of mine had um, some disco lights. There was sort of three or four lights in a in a box, and he and he fixed them up to the record player. <laughs> So that when at the very beginning of the sort of the, the party, when none of the girls had arrived yet, so he could put on the bit of rush. And um, so, <laughs> so he stuck on 2112. And you know that beginning bit where it's that doo-doo, doo-doo, and, and all the lights were going in, in sync to the 2112. And so right. we, never, we never got to the end of 2112. We only played three or four minutes of it. But but that really hit me at the time as something really exciting, you know, cause it started off the party. So that, that was, um, that was probably my earliest um, introduction to rush, but go back to the, to archives, which I really heard first, probably just before 2112. I mean, all those rocks that, you know, they were a proper rock band at that, that time. So listening to songs like sort of working man and finding my way and in the mood um, and fly by night um, they were the first tracks that I really heard. And um, I just thought that Geddy Lee had this, you know, different voice, um, which you didn't hear a, a, in another band. Um, I wasn't really getting the, the drums at that stage because obviously John Rutsey was, I think, on the first album and then right. Neil, Neil Peart took over after that. Um, and I, I wasn't at the age where I was really digging um, the technicalities of Rush, which came later. I think it was... Um, it was just they were an out-and-out 70s rock band and really good uh, and had these catchy lyrics as well, you know, catchy choruses. Yeah, and 2112, side A, is only 2034. So it is 20 minutes, 34 seconds long. And you got like four minutes in, so you guys only listened to like the overture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brad, first time you heard Rush. You know, I, I, I got to comment on something you just said there as far as the duration of the song 2112. Why couldn't they have made it last 2112? They could have, you know, tuned the guitar a little bit longer during that one segment. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. they, 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 I, they probably just weren't thinking about that. I think that would have been totally cool if the song was actually 21 minutes and 12 seconds long. Uh, but I digress. Uh, but the funny thing is, the very first time I heard Rush and uh, CEO Dave, I don't know if you're you're listening, but you should be. Um, I'm not sure who bought this album in 1976, uh, 2112. I, I don't know whether I bought it or he bought it, but somehow it ended up in my bedroom and that's where it stayed 
uh, once it made it into our house. And yeah, when it dropped the needle, the very beginning there, 2112, the over- overture, it was just like, what the, the it was, it was great. Um, it, there was nothing else that sounded like what these guys were doing. Um, Getty's voice, definitely a, a, an acquired taste. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, he was just as like, what is it with these Canadian guys that sing so high? Uh, you know, Rick Emmett, uh, Getty mm-hmm. Lee, there's, a, there's more than that, just that too. Um, but, but anyway, he, uh, yeah, they just sounded like nobody else. And just, it was very epic and rocking. And, and for me, the, of course, the bass was a, a big part of it, but the drums uh, were what really brought me in. I was just like, what, this is just so cool. So yeah, 2112, that's the first album I heard. Uh, the first side wore that out, learned to play it right away. Um, the second side, I think there was like the the three songs on there that I really liked. And then there was two that kind of were growers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, so the first song was at uh, Passage to Bangkok. Was that, is that the first song in yeah. the second side? Yep. Yeah. That and then uh, Less, Lessons, I think, is the last song, right? Uh, something from nothing or something for well, something you can't get something for nothing. Yeah. But lessons is in there too. That's a great song. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, yeah. And so I didn't, I didn't know anything else about them at that point. And I was just like, guy who releases an album and, and like one side is one song. And then there's just a handful of songs on the other side. So, very cool. Very cool stuff. Loved it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, Neil Peart doesn't write anything on this album. What? Yeah, um, you wrote the lyrics. No, 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 no. no. Okay, my mistake. Lyrics. This is yeah. He wrote all the lyrics. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, starting with the first album he was on, um, which was uh, let me see now. Is it Fly by Night? Yeah. Yeah. Five and I didn't he write all the lyrics on that, maybe? Yeah, this the way that it's set up on Wikipedia is just kind of weird because um I was looking at the tracks and it says music, Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson for pretty much everything. And then for all of side A, it has nothing for lyrics, and then on side two it says lessons is Lifeson and Tears is Lee. And then all the way at the top, it says all lyrics are written by Neil Peart, except yeah. we're noted. So he wrote the lyrics for all but two songs with vocals on. So my bad. Um, for me, I can I can remember uh, this was in the 80s, uh, sleeping over my uh, aunt and uncle's house. And one of my cousins, my cousin Walter, saying, have you checked Rush out yet? No, what's what's Rush? I don't, I don't know what Rush is. They have the greatest drummer ever to live. I'm like, okay, what does Rush sound like? You know, I have no idea. And he had like, uh, he had Tom Sawyer recorded off of the radio. So he played it for me. And much to what, what you said, you know, initially I was thinking, well, uh, Getty's voice sounds kind of different. And, you know, the groove is kind of different. You know, I was thinking, hey, you know, this kind of sounds like Led Zeppelin, but it doesn't, you know, it's kind of, you know. So initially I didn't know what to think of it. And of course, back then you didn't have streaming services. You didn't have, 
you know, what you have nowadays. So it was one of these things where, oh, are you going to get a Rush album? Uh, someday I'll get it. So I didn't get to hear anything, uh, a full, actually, I'm trying to think the first full Rush album that I heard was Counterparts. Mm-hmm. Because it was the first wow. thing that came into, you know, into my possession. That uh, This is like 92, I think. It, 93, 93 Counterparts. 93, okay. And and then at the same time, a friend of mine had got a greatest hits, got uh, Chronicles was the name, which is a, a three CD set. What happened was Rush was always a band that was played a lot on U.S. radio. So especially the, the hits. I mean, if, if you want to look at, you know, a lot of the stuff that they've done over the years, I mean, Spirit of the Radio, Limelight, uh, Red Barrichetta, uh, Closer to the Heart, and Tom Sawyer were on the radio every single day. And then as as time went on, you know, every now and then you would hear uh, YYZ. Every now and then you would hear um, there's a few others. And whenever whenever new, uh, whenever there was a new album that came out, you know, the, the lead-off single would always get played on radio as well. Um, so I remember when Tess for Echo came out, the song Tess for Echo was played a lot. Roll the Bones got played a lot. Uh, Show Me Don't Tell Me got played a lot. So it was a band that was always on the radio. So I never really, you know, as much as I was interested in them, I kind of got my fill from the radio playing six or seven songs by Rush every single day. Well, it was kind of enough. So it got to the point where I had to stop listening to them because it was just the same songs over and over again. Luckily, in the 90s, that changed because, you know, I started uh, looking into a lot of their newer material just because I want I like the band, but I didn't want to get bombarded by the same material over and over again. So my first the first time i heard them was probably 83ish and it was uh tom sawyer with a uh staticky recording off of the radio so there you go and uh and johan um i guess finding out that rush got played a lot on us radio is something that's surprising to you i know because i have read a little bit too much about rush but (laughs) i know that's that's the thing in u.s yeah yeah rush were not so big here right in fact uh, rush didn't play in sweden between 1979 and 2004 right so that says a lot right absolutely yeah but uh i mean i watch nhl and (laughs) <laughs> they play Tom Sawyer all the time. Yeah, and that's that's good. Yeah, that's and good. the other thing too is that they've been able to expand into pop culture as well because they've been featured on South Park. They were featured. Yeah. Alex Lifeson is on several episodes of Trailer Park Boys as well. Yeah, um, they're a band that's. For for all their proficiency in music, they're known for their humor as well. So they're the first band to, you know, they themselves make fun of themselves. 
you know, so oh, yeah. it's, it's always interesting to see, you know, we had talked about during the pre-show about the evening of rush. If you have any of their DVDs or Blu-rays, you'll see that there's always comedy bits going on between the songs that are usually up on the big screens at their shows. So, I mean, they've been, you know, so many people have loved them to bring them into, you know, to bring them onto South Park, to bring them on Trailer Park Boys and different things, you know, outside of the element that you would expect to find them. Um, you're saying that they didn't play in Sweden for all those years, but obviously you've gotten to see them. Yeah. How many have, times? Uh, 2004 on the R30 tour mm-hmm. in Stockholm, Globe, Sweden, uh, sold out, uh, had a beer with Mickey D in the, oh, wow. in the middle of the two, uh, yeah, you know, in the in the break between the two An intermission, sets. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I saw them on Snakes and Arrows and on the Time Machine Tour and on Sweden Rock. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's not wow, but that's... When you are born in 1972, that's the amount you can see them in Sweden mm-hmm. if you don't go abroad. Sure. Um, which of those concerts is your favorite? Snakes and Arrows. Snakes and arrows, okay. Absolutely, we had good seats in this in Stockholm, uh, fourth row, with chairs, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, close to uh, Getty, and it was a absolutely fabulous concert. It was the tears were running ninety percent of the, yeah, honestly, the yeah. tears were running ninety percent of the time. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. What a concert. What a band. Yes. Cool. And Steve is checking in in the chat. Just hey, drop Steve. by to say hi. Hey, love you guys. Rock on. Yeah, we love you too, Steve. Thanks for checking in with us. Um, it's funny because there's a very prominent bass player singer of a, of a local band here. Um, one of the bigger bands from my area in Spain. And we met up at a, I don't remember if it was when I interviewed him or when we met up at a show. And he talked about the fact that the other members of the band wanted him to play keyboards, uh, sing and play bass at the same time that they were saying, well, we want you to do like Getty Lee. And he said, well, I couldn't, I couldn't do both at the same time. And I said to him, did you have the, the floor pedals? So what do you mean? He goes, what, for like distortion on the bass? I'm like, no. Getty had keyboards, but because he was playing the bass parts with his feet. So if you look at him, he's got what looks like a keyboard setup, but actually those each one of those um, the pedals at his feet are set up to play different bass notes, different chords, depending on the song. And... Um, and he was like, oh, it like blew his mind. He he said, that changes everything. He goes, I'm not going to tell the other members of the band because they'll want me to try this again. But uh, but he said, now it makes sense. He goes, because I was trying to play the keyboards with my feet and play the bass at the same time. I go, no, it's the other way around. He was playing the keyboards with his hands. He was playing the bass with his feet. So uh, there you go. Uh 
Brad walks away and and CEO Dave chimes in. Uh, CEO Dave says 2112 is his favorite work of theirs. Getty's pipes were at their peak. There you go. The metal Molly checking in with us. Um, Jeremy, you go to a lot of different shows. Did you ever have the uh, luxury of seeing Rush? I wish you'd never asked me that question because the answer is no. And it's a terrible mistake that I've made and I'll never live it down. Um, first of all, to say, that, yeah, well, first of all, to say that Rush didn't always play a lot over here, you know, in the early right. days or through the eighties and nineties. And then, um, I wasn't a massive fan of Rush, you know, I was, I liked a lot of Rush songs, mm -hmm. but I was never sort of, they were never on my radar. They were never a band that I really wanted to see live until quite recently, uh, just before they broke up. So I think we're talking about where the the last album came out about 10 years ago now which which shocked me uh for a start because i didn't realize it was that long ago uh so we're looking at maybe 11 years ago 12 years ago they came over to manchester they were doing one of these three-hour shows i was umming and ahhing about getting a ticket and i was waiting and waiting and then i i went on to the uh manchester arena site to go and get my ticket and the, and it was sold out oh wow and that is my story of seeing Rush live. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, Brad, let's see. Does Brad have a story about seeing uh, Rush in Pomona Hills or, or, or something? Chino Hills. No. Chino Hills. There you go. <laughs> That's a great, yeah, Pomona. Um, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, of course, you know, 2112. Um, I don't remember, you know, and I was 16, so I, I was probably because it came out in April, so I was still 15. So obviously I couldn't drive. I don't know. They must have played Los Angeles uh, on that tour, uh, but I don't remember seeing seeing that advertised. So the first chance I had to see them was the next studio album, which was Farewell to Kings, mm -hmm. which I wow. recorded in England. Uh, isn't that right, Jeremy? You were yes. there with them, right? yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that was the very first time that I got to see them. That was at the Santa Monica Civic, and oh, they were headlining. Hold on, hold on, it was recorded in Wales. Oh, okay, oh, excuse well, me, yeah. UK. That's UK. <laughs> you, yeah. could, you could potentially start a fight over this, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's, <laughs> that's like that's like telling Johan. That uh, that something is in Finland when it's actually in Sweden. Yeah, this it's kind of like when I was in the Hong Kong airport once, and I knocked over a, a life size cutout of Jackie Chan, and I almost started an international incident. Uh, I, I I thought I mean people you you could like hear a pin drop when after after I did this it was I well, not on purpose by the way, and uh, I thought you know I just desecrated a, a national treasure. National treasure. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, very bad, bad, bad on me, but um, I don't know. Hopefully they'll let me come back someday. <laughs> your, your picture is in every airport. This man is prohibited from entering the country. But, That's, uh, that is so true. So yeah. So Wales, uh, England, Scotland, uh, Ireland, the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. UK, UK, uh, so I apologize to all our UK fans out there. Um, 
And the Estonian fans as well. I don't want them to feel slighted. Ireland, Ireland is not in the UK. That will get you oh, a lot well, of deep. Well, well, well Northern, Northern Ireland is in Northern the UK. All right, now I'm really going to hell. <laughs> North Ireland, right? Yeah, Northern Ireland is, yeah. yeah. Okay. Guy, all right, send send me back to the geography class. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we kind of got away from Rush. So, anyway, all right. So, first time I saw farewell, Rush. Farewell to Kings. Farewell yes. to Kings, yeah. So, me and my buddy, Ed Bazovi, he was the drummer in my band. And uh, we're huge fans. We bought bought the album. And it kind of took us a little. The production on it was so different than 2112, it, it, which I, I like it now. But at the time, I was just kind of like, ah, this is kind of weird. And that's when they started adding in all the little percussive stuff and then started adding in the keyboard elements as well. And so it was kind of like, what what is what is going on here? Uh, so. So we, we bought tickets. Santa Monica Civic is my one of my all time favorite uh, concert venues because it's like a big theater. You know, the, the floor slopes up. It's fixed seating. So so Johan, uh, there's seats on the uh, everywhere and you can't move them. It's like like being in a movie theater. It's a pretty big place, though. But it, but there's no there's not really a bad seat in the place. The sound is great because it's not real tall, uh, although there is a balcony in the back. And uh, so yeah, I, I loved going there. I think that was the first time I'd seen a show there. Uh, the, the other cool thing, and I just have to bring this up, is the warm-up band for that tour was UFO. Oh, wow. And it was the first time I got to see UFO. It was on the um, um, guy. Of course, my mind just totally went blank there. Um, the too hot to handle. And oh, that lights out or. Lights, no, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was lights out. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so they were the warm up band. First time ever getting to see them and Michael Schenker and all that. And I got to be honest, they they weren't a, that great of a live band. They kind of made a lot of mistakes. And of course, now we know there were some issues within the band and substances and that. But I still loved it. And then Rush came on, and 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 I do remember this that before they came on, they like rolled out this really plush white shag carpet for the guys to be on. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I'd never seen a concert where that kind of thing was going on. And I, I figured it out right away though, when they hit the stage, cause Getty was barefoot. barefoot yeah. And so he was, he was, and I think he was barefoot. Well, he probably liked it. It's comfortable, but also because he he had all these pedals uh, that he was playing uh, that was triggering keyboard stuff, playing keyboards with his feet. I don't remember him having uh, a, like, a, you know, a proper keyboard uh, up top. So I think he was just playing most of that stuff with with his feet at the time, uh, playing a Rickenbacker still back then. So that that, you know, was, was huge for me as a bass player, you know, getting to get that original. Well, what I considered uh, original rush sound. And uh, anyway, the concert was just phenomenal. And I was I was just totally transfixed by Getty being able to play all those parts and sing all those parts at the same time while playing stuff with his feet. Right. How, how is this guy doing this? Uh, it, it is just mind boggling. And I, I'm sure he's talked about, you know, how he got to be able to do that. But I, I'd, I'd love to have that discussion with him. It's like how, as I know how hard it is for me to play and sing at the same time. And I, I just I just don't know how he did that, if that was just a natural thing or he had to really work at it. 
And and his singing was on point. I mean, his voice was very strong back then. As uh, CEO Dave said that 2112, his pipes were at their peak. He was still singing really, really well on Farewell to Kings. I mean, he sang everything just uh, fantastically. I can't remember a lot of other specifics about the show. I mean, they played a lot of Farewell to Kings, which, again, that's one thing I really miss in today's concerts where bands put out a new album and they're afraid to play anything off it because they feel like everybody's going to go to the bathroom if they play a new song. I mean, I loved it back then, the excitement of a new album. And, and it's yeah. like, oh, what, what are they going to play off it? And uh, they, they played a good portion of it. And then they also mixed in a lot of old songs as well. Uh, it was a great, great show. And I, and luckily, I've been able to see them many times after that. Brad, that's, yeah. that's a missing thing where, you know, bands were, I remember putting out VHSs in the 80s. And every VHS, you could count on five or six tracks off of the new album to sell that new album. Yep. So, go ahead. Yeah, I, think, I, yeah. I was uh, thinking of asking, Brad, since you have seen them uh, a lot of times, uh did you see them in the 80s or early 80s? or uh, Early 80s, yeah. Uh, um, Grace Under Pressure saw them uh, on that that tour. I believe that was the Swing Auditorium out in San Bernardino um, where I saw them. And I think that was when 38 Not So Special was warming up for them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and uh, th- that was uh, another. I mean, every time I've seen them, they've been fantastic. Never seen a bad show. One thing, and here's, as a bass player, one of my beefs about any concert I go to is you can hardly hear the bass player. Uh, that's That just drives me crazy. And that's not the case with Rush, man. They're sound guys. They know, as opposed to what I talked about on Fireside, the sound guy problems. Their sound guy always nailed it. I mean, you can hear the vocals perfectly. You can hear the guitar. You can hear the drums and you can really hear the bass. You can hear everything that Getty's playing. This sounded so good. Every concert I've been to of theirs sound really, really good. So I guess it's easier when you only have three instruments to mix too. But of course, yeah, I guess all the keyboards. and Yeah. I also think that probably has to do with the fact that how many times have you heard stories about Rush bickering amongst themselves? I don't no. think I've ever heard anything about them not getting along, whereas... Was uh, almost every other band out there you hear about this person and that person and oh behind the scenes this person hated the other person and oh that person had this person's instrument turned down or their mic turned off i think with rush they've they've always probably had great sound because they've always gotten along great and at the same time i think they've all also always seen it as a team effort you know, it's funny because you see some of the behind the scenes stuff where they talk about the beginnings of the band. They still talk about John Rutsey like he was just as important as everyone else, you know, that was in the band. And even though Neil was superior on a lot of different levels, they still felt that John was just as important as, you know, the, the rest of them. So I think that's really a credit to their you know, not having an ego and wanting to have a, you know, a machine that worked well together. So, yeah, you know, one thing you can see in uh, their later concerts is the camaraderie on stage. 
you know, they were, they were always smiling at each other. And, you know, most of the time, Neil Peart was very serious. You know, you rarely saw him smile, but every so often one of the guys would go back there and do something that would actually make him smile. Yeah. And that, that always, you know, made me feel good. You know, it's like, hey, these guys really, they're not just there putting on, you know, doing a job. You right. know, they're, they're there because they're friends and, uh, and uh, they love what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're, they're very passionate about it and they're having fun. Yeah. And that's funny because Neil seemed so serious. And then there were like a lot of backstage things where there would be people like trying to interview them or whatever. And he's always playing straight. But you could tell that, you know, he was throwing jabs at the person, not as not to be a dick, but to be funny to see yeah. if that person would 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 get what what he was trying to say. So it was funny. He was always playing the straight man. But at the same time, he was he was very humorous with a lot of the things that he said and a lot of the things that he did. He just didn't express it the same way as Getty and as as Alex did, you know. So. Yeah, kind of interesting thing about him too. From from I've never met him, but um, I had a one of my uh, pharmacy students uh, at the time was working at this bicycle shop in the Salt Lake Valley, and right. Neil Neil came in there uh, mm-hmm. when they were in town on tour, and he said, you know, all they talked about was bicycles, and he said he was just fantastic. Said he was really open, but then he said other people would come up and be like, "Oh, Neil, you know, drummer and all this stuff." And he said he immediately would clam up and didn't really want to talk about that, right? Which which was interesting. He said, "But yeah," he says when you start talking about bicycles, he would just totally light up and open up, and uh, mm-hmm. but he didn't he didn't want to be known as out in public as the drummer for Rush, and I think you kind of get that in the lyrics of Limelight as well. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, just think about all the things that he wrote about. I mean, not only the lyrics, but his books and everything else. I mean, this is someone who uh, didn't want to ride the bus, the, the tour bus. He would either, you know, depending on the tour, he would um, ride a motorcycle from show to show, or they would have, they would rent like old like Ferraris or old uh, Cobras or stuff like that. And he would drive like vintage cars from, from show to show. And if they had days off, he would go cycling. You know, he always did things to, to keep his mind off the rest. And again, it's, it's amazing how they were able to go for as long as they weren't as proficient as, as they could you know, so that's that to me is amazing. Um, Johan, you were trying to make a point before. Yes. Yes, I were. But I, yeah, now I can remember. Uh, yeah. Uh, they had in the 80s, Alex's guitar was a little bit put aside to the synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And that put the band in the... There were a little bit of uh, trouble inside the band during that mm-hmm. time. Uh, but, you know, just a point there, just to say that. But, uh, uh, no. Thank you. <laughs> I can't... I want to say more, but I can't find the words. Thank you. 
So, so what you're saying is that during that point in time, there were issues on the inside because yes. Alex maybe wanted to have his guitars featured more, but what yes. they were writing didn't didn't lend itself to having those guitar parts. That's yes. that's kind of an interesting comment, though, because I mean, when you figure him and Getty wrote all the music, basically, uh, no, uh, Getty wrote all the music. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess that explains why his solo album sounds the way it does. Um, Getty wrote all the music, and but you can you can also hear like Alex, Alex's solo album, Victor, which is that named after you, Victor? Obviously. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, you you can certainly hear rushisms and and, and a lot of that too. Uh, but guy, you yeah, you would think with three guys that Alex couldn't and couldn't have been pushed to the side so much that he had to be buying into um, what they were doing, that it, he's not going to just sit back and say, okay, Getty, whatever you want to do, you know, call him, let me know when I, when you need a little guitar on this song. Um, what, was, was it the producers actually pushing, pushing it as well? Because during that era, producers tended to push bands to record something more in tune with the times, you know, and something that was saleable as well. Yeah, that's I, a great that's a great question, Jeremy. And that, that's a that's a discussion I'd love to have with them that once they you know went on and started using other producers other than Terry Brown, uh, you know, what kind yeah. of a role did those guys play in mm. the the songs mm. and uh, the pre presentation of those songs? So yeah. But yeah. Getty was the you know the musical master and uh Neil was the the engine of the band, and mm -hmm. in between was uh, Alex to put the, you know, the the nice tones in between. If you understand, he put the, the glue guitar, everything the, the guitar magic in between. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Um, okay, so let's move on to discussing favorite Rush album now. I know that on on the pre-show, Johan was saying that he didn't have, he hadn't decided yet. Jeremy knew. Jeremy had three albums that he really wanted to focus on, but ended up going back to his original choice. Brad mm. kind of seemed like his mind was made up, and and I kind of knew what I was going to go with, which Jeremy called me out on it. Uh, when we were going. You start. Back. You start. You want me to start? Okay. That's how once. Okay, um, for me, and, and Jeremy, uh, Jeremy pointed it out, as much as I've loved what the band has done over the years, when Snakes and Arrows came out, there was just something about that album, and I really liked the song Far Cry, but when I started listening to the rest of the album, you know, when, it, when I got to songs like... Um, Armor and Sword, which is the second track off of the album, Working the Angels. Uh, Spindrift is another one that I've listened to a lot, and I'm going to kind of break my own rule here. Instead of just saying three, I'm going to give you guys a fourth, which is We Hold On, which is the, uh, the album closer. Those four songs to this day, the album came out in 2009, if I'm not mistaken. I still play these four songs a lot. Okay. Um, there are times where I haven't, heard these songs and sometimes 
And then I'll hear the chorus to working the angels in my head. And I have to listen to the song. So I know that this isn't going to be a popular decision amongst a lot of diehards because it is one of their later albums, but it is the album that I have listened to the most by the band. And I absolutely love it. I have the live album and I have the Blu-ray, which I've watched a lot as well. Um, which is just magnificent. So for me, my favorite album by Rush is Snakes and Arrows. Um, Brad, how about you? Okay, well, um, as I said on the, the Fireside show, I, I, I had what I thought was my favorite album, but then going back and listening again to uh, the various albums, I changed my mind. Okay. I know. Uh, yeah. So I, I had to give it to the Victor M. Ruiz uh, test. I had to, I had to just open up, open up my mind. I, I like the way you listen to music. You listen like this, not like this. So I try. I, I take, I, I've taken that uh, page from you. Uh, always listen with an open mind and never just shut things down. So anyway, I was going to say 2112 was my favorite, but re-listening, I'm going with Roll the Bones. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> 1991. 1991. Yeah. And I got um, married. Johan will kind of understand this. When this album came out, um, it was like five, six years after my band had been recording. And I thought, wait a second. I feel like this is an album my band would have done. I feel like these guys are now copying us. Uh, which is, of course, not the case. I'm sure they never heard us, but it kind of made me feel good because I know our our the, our songwriter in the band wasn't a Rush fan. I mean, he wasn't a guy who listened to Rush, and uh, but yet it's like, wow, how is this um, just? Uh, how is this happening that their their music and our music is kind of uh, synergistically kind of coexisting together and sounding so much the same? But here, let me tell you why I love this album. Okay, number one, it sounds really good. Um, Peter Collins, uh, I think I don't. I think it was his third album he produced for these guys. And anyway, we're talking about the role of the producer. I think that this is the perfect album for them as far as songs. Uh, I mean, every song is just rock solid. There's no huge, like, extravagant. Um, I mean, every song stands alone so well as just a well-written song. Uh, it opens up with Dream Lion, which is uh, a song that I think they played to the end. I, I think they probably played it every tour after that album because it was that big of a song for them. And it's a great song. Um uh, bravado the next song is beautiful I, it's just uh you know the the lyrics the lyrics on this album are are so cool because i i i'm not sure exactly where neil was in his life um a lot of bad things had happened to him but i think you know still not he, he hadn't hit the worst of it there but uh just the whole theme of the album about you know, um, life and about, uh, life is kind of a gamble and, and, you know, you kind of, you kind of play the cards you're dealt and, and, uh, there's just so many great th themes that just fit together on, on this album. Uh, I mean, ghost of a chance, great song. I'm going to, I'm going to skip the, uh, the title track just because everybody knows that one. But I, yeah, as I as I've listened to that, it just sounds so good. 
every instrument sounds really well. The drums are just on point. And, and Getty's voice, I, I, I think they finally found the spot for Getty's voice where it wasn't like, what the hell is that kind of a thing for somebody who didn't know Rush? It's like, if you didn't, hadn't listened to Rush and you listened to this, you would be like, oh, this guy's a really good singer. You know, he, you know, he really had a nice kind of um, happy tone zone on this album. So uh, I think, I think it's their, their most perfect album, in my opinion. Yeah, this is also, if if you think about, and this is something Johan talked about, the, the different eras of the band, I think Presto was probably the first album to kind of start steering the ship back in the direction that a lot of the, the diehards wanted. And then Roll the Bones was finally like the album that a lot of the old time Rush fans really wanted to hear because it brought them back to what they you of the band johan go ahead yeah you're 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 on point there uh rupert hein was the producer uh and he's produced also uh presto uh, and he's okay. he he, uh, he wanted to bring rush back as a rock band as a three-piece so i was totally wrong on that it wasn't peter collins yeah, but peter oh, collins I- did do quite a few of them um I know that the one that I picked it was Nick Raskolinix. Yep. Yeah. He did all the last ones. Peter yeah. Collins did uh, uh, Power Windows and Hold Your Fire. Well, I, okay. So I, I need I need to look into Rupert a little bit more because I I think what he did with uh, Presto and this album to me they kind of fit together really really well. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, very song oriented albums and very easy to just listen to. Very. Uh, very passionate with the music and the, the lyrics. Yeah, but well, Peter Collins also did do counterparts, and he did test for echo. So that's, that's right. He he did come back, and Peter Collins has worked with a lot of people. He worked with like suicidal tendencies as well, and um, really, yeah, yep, oh, cool. Um, uh, there's Queensrÿche. Um, yeah, Queensryche as well. Um, he first came on my radar with uh, when he worked with Nick Kershaw. Okay. And those albums, and Johan will probably understand this, my band, uh, when we're in the studio, we we just tore apart those albums listening to what they were doing on yeah. them as far as the keyboards and stuff and, and the production angle. So I, I love that guy's work. Yeah, he did, um, he did Hey Stupid by Alice Cooper. And with Queensryche, he did Mind, Operation Mind Crime, the original Empire, and here in the the here now frontier. Also did Billy Squire, Bon Jovi, and Gary Moore. Wow. Yeah. So he's worked with a lot of different people. Okay, I've been schooled. Well, there well done, go. guys. Just trying. I think we're all just trying to help. help brad please help brad (laughs) um jeremy we will end suspense now you've been uh (laughs) you you told me earlier today that you would not after after having me tell him what i was gonna pick his response was okay i'll tell you my choice tonight (laughs) so the time has come Yeah. yeah yeah uh well it was i listened to all 19 studio albums it, they span 38 years of music, and I've picked my favorite, and it was exactly the favorite that I had 
before I started the exercise. But what I would say is that there were a few that I was choosing between, and one was the very first album, the Rush debut album, okay. simply because it, it has great songs on it. It was a real rocky album, and it was what it's what you know it started them all off. Great album, 1974. And then the very final album, Clockwork Angels, which I've not really listened to properly before, is absolutely superb. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to like Snakes and Arrows more than Clockwork Angels, but now I'm I'm veering the other way around. Um, songs like Caravan and Carnies and Seven Cities of Gold. It, it's it's really what a great album to finish your career on. But it's not my favorite album. Okay. And my favorite album was between two, and it was between Moving Pictures and Signals because they came out very close to each other. Right. And I think that this was the peak of Rush. I think this is when Rush were absolutely at the peak of their career. Um, you may argue against that. That's fine. But for in, in the UK, certainly, Moving Pictures was the, the album that really took them onto the, into the stratosphere and, and when everyone was buying albums and i think it was it was very high up in the charts and it was just a superb album but it's not my favorite my favorite is signals and i bought it and there it is the vinyl copy signals and for me signals is better than moving pictures because it's a, it's a much more cohesive album it's eight tracks uh it starts off with subdivisions with that amazing <laughs> that amazing intro with that keyboard that comes in um and then it ends with countdown which is another fantastic song but you can pick any song off this album and there's no low low song on it there's every song is sort of seven or eight out of ten whereas other albums i feel there's some nine out of tens but there's also some maybe four or five out of tens occasionally they they dip a bit but you, there's no dip on signals. Okay, so if you were so, going to sell signals to someone, yeah, uh, what three songs would you choose to sell them? So I would. So as I said, subdivisions would be that because it's the opening track and it's, yeah. it's just a great song and you, you can sing along to that one. Um, I would definitely say the final track, Countdown, um, and probably New World Man. I mean, I think that was a single. If I'm yeah. not wrong. Yeah. So um, just because, you know, you need a bit of commerciality to sell bands, to sell albums. People need to be able to um, cotton onto a song that, you know, has a bit of something about it that, that would get in the charts. Uh, so those three would be it. They're not. I mean, my favorite song by Rush of all time is not on this album, but I still think this album is really cohesive and it's probably their best their best effort and and to think that it came out after moving pictures a year after mm -hmm. and to me is even better than moving pictures yeah definitely um see so there are songs off of here that i that i missed when i said songs that got played on us radio all the time subdivisions uh new world man and the analog kid got played plenty yeah on, yeah uh, on radio subdivision is one of those that got played every single day. And I wonder if, uh, Alex Lifeson got, uh, got, got additional points for that one because he's the one that says subdivisions. That's, I don't know if that's his <laughs> yeah. only, uh, singing part, uh, throughout the career or not, but, uh, that's, that's him. That's the line that I sing in the bath all the time when I play the song. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> See, as a guitarist, you're doing the guitarist parts. 
subdivisions <laughs> so, in the high school. Hall. So, Jeremy, you, you said your favorite song's not on there. Did you? Uh, did I miss it? Did you say what your favorite Rush song? No, not yet, because I was wondering whether Victor's going to ask us that in a minute. So oh, okay. All right. Back. I was going to hold back on. That. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, Johan, have you decided what your favorite album is? Yes, uh, for tonight. For tonight. I yeah, I don't know that one. No, wait, no, wait. it's a new one. <laughs> uh, he's he's got a he's got a bootleg. Wait a second, Johan. Before you start, for tonight, Johan selects. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, my selection is Power Windows. Ooh. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Uh, produced by Peter Collins. It's uh, from the mid '80s. It's uh, my favorite of Rush uh, because strong songs. Uh, five of the eight songs are played live, often or quite often, mm-hmm. uh, and I was young. I was young in the '80s, and when I listened to uh, Power Windows. It's it's like the soundtrack of the 80s. It's like the it's cold, this cold synthesized world, cold war world, and uh, strong songs often about uh, the the nuclear race and so on. Uh, it's. Uh, for me, that's a 10 out of a 10 album. But I choose between Grace Under Pressure, Signals, Moving Pictures, and Hold Your Fire. So it's I almost have to roll the dice to to uh, to say which one is my favorite. But don't you mean roll the bones? <laughs> yeah. What did I say? You roll said roll the dice. dice. I think you, you should have stuck with the hold, theme and say roll the bones. Hold your fire. Uh, uh, roll the dice? I'm a bit nervous here because this is my big time. Uh, <laughs> no, don't worry. You're doing great, man. Yo, Johan, we love you. We love uh, you. I, I love your passion for Rush. I, I absolutely. So, I mean, this week was very hard to to choose between these albums and uh i I choose this one because they had songs like my three favorites are marathon uh manhattan project and which one should i choose uh middletown dreams excellent are you are you uh, familiar with these songs i am familiar with some of them I've listened to the album in the past. It's just that I mean, obviously, "Big Money" is is a song that I remember because it was on the radio all the time, and it was the video was played a lot when this came out. Uh, Manhattan Project and Marathon, I believe I know them from one of the live albums. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, off of in in my Rush playlist, I have those three songs: "Big Money," "Manhattan Project," and "Marathon" in there. So, 
I recently uh, bought this album just because of Johan. So see uh, that thanks, Johan. and yeah, it's a great sounding album. Uh, and yeah. They, I think they had a lot of great songs off of these albums that like we were talking about on the, on the pre-show where a lot of people just associate 80s rush as being grace under pressure, power windows and hold your fire. And because of that, they have a stigma placed on them because of the keyboards and stuff like that. But people don't realize once again, um, 1980 permanent waves, 1981 moving pictures, 1982 signals. So the first, the first part of the eighties, as Jeremy pointed out, probably the peak of, you know, their popularity. And although those other albums, Again, Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, and, and Hold Your Fire probably don't have the same notoriety. It's obviously, A, the still, the, it's still the same band, and B, there's a lot of good material on there. Again, a, a lot of people don't go into these albums, or, or actually the opposite, go into the album saying, well, well where's Tom Sawyer? Well, well, Tom Sawyer is Tom Sawyer. You're not going to have... Or, or luckily we didn't have them trying to do Tom Sawyer part two. They had enough respect for themselves and their own material to not try to regurgitate any of their past hits. Because if you think about all the hits they've had over the years, none of the songs sound alike. They all sound different. So I think that's also a credit to them and, and being that each era does sound different and being that each era did have its, its high points. So, yeah, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for not trying to re redo the same thing over and over. Yeah, uh, you know, mm. they they went into each album with a fresh approach, and it, it stood on its own. So, well done, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's go with uh, since Jeremy brought up the idea, let's go with favorite song. Jeremy, what would you consider your favorite song by Rush? Yeah, I was between a couple, actually. I was between Tom Sawyer because I play that probably more than any other Rush song. Right. Uh, I love I love Tom Sawyer. I just think it's just an amazing song. Um, and, you know, it's, it was the first track on Moving Pictures. Uh, it was at the height of their fame. Love that song. But one song that really sticks out to me is off A Farewell to Kings in 77 is Xanadu. Um, Xanadu, to me, is is just an amazing creative song if you listen to it uh it's got that sort of slow bit at the beginning um very atmospheric and then it goes into that very fast bit uh and then Geddy's singing sort of carries on when the, when the band stop uh it's sort of like it rolls around the music and it's it's just incredible how they came up with it um so to me, Xanadu is my favorite. You know, it's funny. I can't eat honeydew ever without thinking of that song. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Every time I like, like hey, there's honeydew, uh, Xanadu. Yeah, it's like the, yeah. But I, I got to say, when I first heard that song, when we first got that album, that was one that kind of took me a little while to wrap my head around because I thought, what the hell are they doing here? Um uh, but yeah, what a what an epic song live though. That back I do remember that in the show when the first time I saw them, uh, where they both had the double neck guitars and Getty actually played guitar part. 
uh, uh, during one part of the song and would play the bass on the pedals. And uh, I mean, that whole thing was such a spectacle. There was so much with three guys going on on stage. I mean, Neil had added all these percussive uh, elements, the tubular bells and the little glockenspiels. And uh, I mean, guy, there was so much stuff going on. It was just, it was like, how, many, how much more can three guys do? Right. It was un- unbelievable. Yeah. Brad, what would you consider your favorite song by Rush? Okay. Well, uh, I, again, uh, I changed my mind. Uh, Red Barchetta is probably uh, my, you know, historically my, my favorite. Cause the bass part is just so just fantastically wonderful stands out so well in the mix. And uh, I, plus the song just is fantastic, but I'm going to go with half the world. And the reason I'm, I'm giving half the world the win on this is, and, and I'm not a guy who listens to lyrics. Uh, it's just not my thing. I, but, but for some reason, those lyrics really hit me because uh, I, I'm, I think Neil nailed it. You know, it's like half the world is this and half the world is that. And it's like, why, why can't we get this thing together? Uh, plus musically great, great song. Uh, a song I always wanted to cover with my, uh, with my band. I, I thought it would have, I thought we would have made it sound really well. Yeah. Jeremy had to mess me up and, and put me on the spot with this question because, <laughs> because as you guys are talking, I'm looking at my rush playlist and I'm thinking, okay, I really like red sector. A. I really like uh driven. I really like one little victory. I really like working them angels, which I mentioned before. Um, uh, Rush, like, what's that? A Far Cry as well. You mentioned that one before. Far Cry, I really like, but I mean, I don't like it as much as like any of the other. Hmm. I like the other songs that I mentioned off the album a lot more than than Far Cry, but Far Cry, I think, is probably the strongest uh, single that they that they've released um i don't know post signals probably because that song just immediately like stood out to me and as much as i like tracks like roll the bones or uh show show don't tell those are songs that are or stick it out as another one i like those songs but over the years i haven't listened to them as much as far cry far cry is one of those ads ah, a single i don't want to you know, I, I don't want to hear it. But then the song starts up and it's like, ah, I, I like this song. You know, it's one of those things mm-hmm. where you remember it one way. But then once the song build, starts going, you don't you don't change the song. Um, I'm going to go with with one little victory only because I think the lyrics are pertinent to a lot of things in life and not giving up and trying to just battle one thing at a time and kind of a discussion that I had with, with my son today and how life is just a continuous grind where you just got to take one little victory one at a time and just try to move forward. So um, you asked me today, I'm going to say one little victory. So there you go. Isn't it funny, funny how we both pick songs because of a lot because of the lyrics? Yeah, um, very very interesting. I, I I also like the the um, the music to this, just the way mm-hmm. 
the way that it starts because it isn't your typical time signature either. It's uh, I'm I'm trying to think. It it might be like a six eight time signature that Neil starts in on, and then Getty just starts it. Getty and Alex start in with the uh, no. That's actually Alex that starts in with the guitar. Then Getty starts in with the bass. They stop, and then they kick into the song, which is just a regular like four four at that point. But then like the the various sections of the song have all different odd time signatures. Again, this is something that you see bands like Tool, you see bands like Mastodon, you see a lot of these bands that have done that Soundgarden uh, that have used a lot of funky time signatures. And you could think of, yeah, maybe they get that from Zeppelin to an extent, but I think Rush continued to do that when Zeppelin disappeared. And I think that Rush has, again, a lot to do with a lot of progressive hard rock and metal and even extreme progressive metal that came later on. They took that from Rush and took that from Neil Peart and took that from, you know, as you guys were talking, how Neil was trying to add all these little elements and all these different accents to the music with different out-of-the-box uh, instruments, percussion instruments. And I think that's led to a lot of bands, especially in extreme metal, doing that with needing to add a symbol, a symbol, every, every note that, that where there's an empty space. So I love the music and I love the lyrics. The lyrics again, have, have a lot to do with, with why it's important to me. But anyway, Johan, your favorite Rush song. Can you decide on just one or, um, for you, I mean, does it does it rotate a lot where you know one song will be your favorite and then for a certain period of time and then another one will be your favorite yeah tonight what is your favorite tonight from rush <laughs> no but uh one song that's always is good is uh subdivisions okay i really uh, mm. i love signals it's uh absolutely amazing album and subdivisions is a song that i never seem to be tired of so okay i love it it's uh something about that song with the keyboard intro and uh the feeling of the early 80s and uh yeah yeah i agree with you yeah. and it's a great it, it is an, an awesome song it's it's funny because I don't remember who I was speaking to recently. We were talking about um, uh, the importance of Alex Van Halen. And they, we had talked about, uh, the person had told me how they didn't like how Alex went to a certain um, sound during the 80s. And to me, there's, uh, for example, the, the band that I picked out today for the uh, new releases, Birthday Massacre. The Birthday Massacre borrows a lot of sounds from the 80s, whether it's synths to drum sounds. And you, you listen to subdivisions, you listen to stuff off of signals, and it takes you to that place. It takes you to, you know, 82 when that came out. And, you know, it yeah, it it doesn't have the sound that maybe uh tom sawyer had but it takes you to it teleports you to that place you hear songs that have that type of sound and you remember ah this song is from this time period 
I remember this happened in my life. That happened. I was watching this sporting event. I saw that movie. You know, all of these. I had somebody once tell me, they said, you know, an album is much like a picture album where it's a point in time in your life when you hear a song or you hear a musical album and it takes you back to that place in your life. And you remember, wow, I remember as we're talking, I got to listen to this song or this band for the first time here. And this song reminds me of this event in my life. So it's, I understand 100% what you're saying, Johan, from the keyboards to, to Neil's drum sound, uh, who Neil never shied away from liking that electronic drum sound. He oh. still had it till the end. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's awesome. Um, any, any final words you guys want to say about Rush? <laughs> Can't believe that they, uh, that they, the, their last album was ten years ago. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a shocker. Um, shame that they uh, they finished, and it's a it's a shame that obviously Neil's died. And um, but but what a great volume of work to um, you know they'll go down in history. Really, it's one of the greatest bands. Certainly, one of the greatest bands to come out of Canada. One of the greatest rock bands and prog rock bands ever. I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a, a lot can be said to the fact that. They did go out on their terms. They didn't milk a farewell tour. You know, they just got to the end and Neil said, I can't physically do this anymore. They didn't have a big announcement. They didn't, you know, not until Neil passed away. That was when everyone kind of realized, okay, this is done. Um, mm. And they haven't, to their credit, they haven't tried, you know, bringing in a Mike Portnoy and doing, you know, Rush with uh, with someone else. And, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to them, to Getty and Alex working with another drummer, but not using that name um, because I think they're an exception where they could go out and tour under a different name and people would still go see them due to the respect that Neil isn't there. So that's why they're not using the Rush name. They also, they aren't a band like... Um, and it's no, no knock against like a stone temple pilots or an Alice in chains, but because those bands became so big commercially rush became a commercial band, but on their own merit, they weren't writing to get onto the radio. They weren't writing ballads to make sure that soccer moms were buying their albums. Whereas some of these other bands have done that. And that's why a lot of bands over the years, have tried to chase that hit over and over and over again. Rush just did what they did. And and their fans, you know, their loyal fans, the diehards stayed with them through that difficult period while the casual fan came and went. You know, and and I think that that's a testament to them and a testament to the fact that if you see some of those later shows, the 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 fans were were mixed. You know, they weren't all old guys. They were young kids. They were, you know, because the legacy that that they, you know, that they built up until the end and how much they influenced other bands where that's that's a testament to them. So, um, Brad, any final comments on Rush? Um, you know, I agree with everything you said, and they are. Uh, 
I, there's very few bands that have accomplished what they have accomplished. And like you said, they did it on their own terms. I mean, yeah, they certainly followed uh, the sound of trends of the uh, of music at the times, but you could tell they weren't writing to fit that. That was but more were of, they, was more were of they, a perception thing. Well, I don't know if it was so much of that or them wanting to experiment. I th yeah. I think that them in the 80s, they they – there were things, yes, that became popular, but I don't know so much if, if it, again, when we have the Yarg Metal and, and Mars Attacks interview with Alex and Getty, um, we can ask them. But um, I, th I think it has to do with the fact that they were just so, they were just such great musicians, and they still are, that somebody presented them with a new set of crayons or a new set of paints a new style of painting and they said wait a second how can we incorporate this within rush how can we take this in and maybe it could also be boredom on their behalf with saying you know what we've proven everything that we can do within these limitations so we want to push our boundaries and now start incorporating some of these other instruments you know so uh, in my opinion and not, i'm sorry to cut you off that's why i think they they kind of did that stuff in the eighties. I think it was their, their want and their need to, to go beyond what they had done previously. Yeah, I'd agree with you. They're definitely leaders, not followers. Yeah. Uh, they definitely did what they wanted to do. Um, and, and they were successful doing that. They were successful doing whatever they wanted to do. I mean, mm -hmm. what other band can say that whatever, uh, you know, uh, yeah, they're 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 legends, and everybody knows Rush. Everybody knows a Rush song. Yeah, how many bands can say that? And again, uh, a band that's been heavily sampled within the hip hop community as well. Tom Sawyer's been sampled a million and one times. So, you know that this these are things that uh, I know that a lot of people have issues with that, but I think it's a testament to to the music that they made, that it speaks to people in, in all different genres of music. You know, that's how important they are. Yes. So, um, so I'll say one more thing. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Johan, for uh, getting us to this point where we're talking about rush. <laughs> yeah. I thank you because the most uh, fun thing is to hear your opinion. That's the, me the the best thing tonight yeah i know my opinion a, but that's it's so fun to hear what you guys think well yeah i think we got we had, we had a we're, we're small in in number but we're uh large in quality yeah. and uh so the, this has been a great discussion thank you guys for mm. letting me join in yeah no i i have to say that you know i johan really wanted to uh to push this and I think the uh, uh, Jerry, who I'm surprised didn't join us tonight, but Jerry kind of lit the fire with the whole 1981 discussion and uh, and Johan not agreeing with us on what the number one album was for 1981. Yeah. And that that has gotten us to this point, to, uh, to, to having this episode on Rush. And, and I mean, I love everyone's passion for music and, and I love the fact that that Johan, you know, has su such a passion for Rush. I mean, it was impossible 
to say no when uh, w- when we started discussing what band um, we should do next for this. So uh, I'm I'm happy that uh, we were able to to get together and and talk about Rush, and this has been a lot of fun. So um, uh, again. So along those, along those lines, Jeremy and I are going to sit back very quietly and just wait for our moment to talk about Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, but uh, when it uh, with Saxon though, as cool as an idea that that I think that is, um, do you think that Saxon deserves to go before Def Leppard? No, um, and I, I don't think it deserves to go before Black Sabbath or um, Metallica or. No, well, that, that's what I said. We're we're willing to wait. <laughs> we'll, okay. wait. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. Yeah. We'll wait. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why it was reassuring when Jeremy said, when when I was at a crossroads, thinking, okay, well, I'm putting up these lists for people to vote on bands, and people aren't voting on bands. Okay, who are we going to talk about next? And when a bunch of you guys said after Johan said Rush, and a bunch of people said, yeah, let's do Rush. I was like, thank you. And uh, and Jeremy even said there's there's still a lot of bands we can talk about. So oh, yeah. Uh, no shortage. So we, yeah. we we've got um the idea is the 1982 discussion next month. And um we'll we'll be doing um another discussion that uh will We'll narrow down for the month of April and then in May we'll be discussing another band. So there Sounds, go. good. Um, Sounds good. One, one thing's for sure. What's that? We're going to have fun. We will have fun and there will As be always. a, a <laughs> lot of, a lot of music talk. That's for sure. Yeah. Everybody, uh, everybody who's listening to this after the fact, you need to jump on Victor's Patreon and you need to join us. And uh, you know, because everybody, uh, there's a lot of music fans out there that have opinions, and we welcome them. Bring it, bring it on. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, any any last word, Johan? Will we'll, I'll leave you with the last comment? Thank you. Uh, so, listeners, if you ever want to check out the band, that's uh, quality. Go to Rush. You never find the immediate hit single, but you will find the music that will stay with you for the rest of your life. Thank you very much. There you go. Perfect. I I couldn't have (laughs) said it better. And on that note, thank you, Johan. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Brad. And thank you once again. Uh, Thank you, Rob Rowe. Um, CEO Dave uh, Happy birthday CEO Dave Happy birthday CEO Dave and thank you Jose uh, for joining us in the chat thank you to anyone who listens to this after the fact and remember that uh, Signals from Mars goes down every Friday at 6pm Eastern, 3pm Pacific um, 11pm in the UK and 12 midnight Friday going into Saturday for those in Europe. If you happen to be in Australia, 8 a.m. on the eastern coast there. And on that note, thank you all. As I like to say, you guys could be doing a million other things, but you choose to be joining us and listening to this or watching this. 
uh, fun chat about Rush. I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. And on that note, we will see you next time right here on the Signals from Mars live stream, Mars Attacks podcast. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 